Results May Vary is a podcast and a community to help you design your life. Through our work in the fields of design, innovation, and executive coaching, Chris, Kachi, and I have learned that the creative problem-solving strategies we use to help organizations tackle tough challenges apply to people challenges, too. The design process is universal. Gaining empathy and taking action is useful for every industry and individual alike. Our hope is that by sharing stories from people who've designed their own lives in unique ways, that you can take what's useful and apply it on your own. So tune in, take note, try an experiment, and then try another. We're all born creators, and every day is a whole new chance to create. All right. So today we are talking with Jenny Luna, who is not just a guest on today's show. She is also a valued member of the Results May Vary team. She has joined us this season as our producer, and we are so grateful to have her, not just for her producing skills, but also for her beginner's mind coming to the topic of design uh, without the background. So she has a lot of great questions to prompt us with today, which we hope are helpful for our listeners as they sort of, as you all make your way to understanding what the show is actually about. So Jenny, welcome to Results May Vary. Thank you so much, Tracy. I'm really excited to be here and I've kind of sat in a different seat since I've been working with you guys. I'm excited to have a microphone this time and talk to you guys more about design thinking. I've worked on podcasts before, but this one has really piqued my curiosity as I lift as I've listened to you guys talk about design thinking and interview these amazing guests. It's made me realize that I have a few questions and I wanted to wrangle you three and sit down and maybe rapid fire hear more about your take on design thinking and ways that I could personally apply it to my own life. Yeah, absolutely. And before we get started, do you want to share a little bit about your background? You mentioned, you know, working on other podcasts and things, but I know that you have a really excellent, you know, pedigree. So I would love to have you share it with with our listeners. Sure. Yeah. I first started doing audio and podcasting when I was working at WLRN in Miami. I spent a summer down there, which was just so much fun. Florida is a crazy place. So being able to be a reporter there was fantastic. And then I worked on a food politics podcast that was a lot about all the policies, the laws, the um, things that happen behind what gets up, what ends up on your plate. So I loved learning a lot about that. And that was with Mother Jones in San Francisco. And then I took a pretty sharp turn. And now I do a communications podcast as well with Stanford Graduate School of Business. I'm learning a lot about things like negotiation and persuasion and um, how to manage anxiety when speaking in front of people. So that's been a really fun podcast to work on as well. That's awesome. Do you want to share the names of those so people can look them up if they're interested? Yeah, the the food one was called is called Bite. And the one at Stanford Business School is called Think Fast, Talk Smart. Nice. That sounds awesome. All right. Well, why don't you share some of the questions and then Chris and Kati and I will hop in uh, with, with our best answers. When I first started working with you guys on results may vary, I was kind of intimidated about design thinking because I had heard, you know, of IDEO and something at Stanford, the D school. And so I wasn't sure how it could really apply 
to me or my life or the things that I was working on. And so I'm wondering if this, each of you could give like a five to 10 word definition about how, of how you would define design thinking. So for me, I, I actually, the term design thinking, I don't love as somebody who names things for a living um, because I think it's just confusing. So when I think of design, I think of it as a process and it's simply a creative problem solving process. So it's something that you do when you want to come up with new solutions to challenges that you have, whether that's business challenges or challenges in your day-to-day life. Yeah, Tracy, I, I think that's a great entry into it. I have to um, believe that it is a creative problem-solving process that actually celebrates imperfection where you can try your way forward. Design thinking is, is strongly associated with Stanford and, and IDEO and, and very prestigious brands that are honestly sort of known for perfect things. I think that's what uh, partly makes it intimidating is where it comes from. So for me personally, when I got to know it, uh, a lot of that intimidation fell, fell apart as it was, it was more um, human and it was the most human way of solving things that I had touched before. Yeah. Thanks, Chris. And the, the way I, I think about design thinking is, is fundamentally for each person to remember that they always have choice and they can choose on how they want to design or experience their day. And from a coaching perspective, it could be some small tweaks throughout the day in terms of um, what is the attitude that I want to have as I step into this meeting? What is the impact of choosing to take little breaks throughout the afternoon? There are some really tactical things, but the most important is the reminder of you always have choice. How do you want to design your day? How do you want to experience your day? So that's how I apply it in coaching. Oh, I love that. You always have choice. It's really empowering when you step back and think about that. Actually, I was just having a conversation with my father and he was very anxious because he was going to go in for um, a little medical exam he wasn't looking forward to. And we were talking about it and he decided to go with a friend, go to a nice restaurant first, and then go um, have the little procedure and then make sure he was taken home uh, in a comforting way. And so that is very practical life design. And we were talking about how he could have chosen to have that experience with any kind of attitude, but he really chose an attitude with support. He designed in some fun, um, some connection and support. Such a great anecdote, which leads me into my next question I wanted to ask each of you was, if you had stories where there was an instance of design thinking that really evolved, whether it was a process, a person, a system, I'd love to hear how you guys saw design thinking really change something holistically. I'll, I'll chime in here is we use design thinking. Um, Tracy and I met through a work context and came across design thinking in the process and applied it to many things. But I think one that sort of starts to blend organizational help to helping individuals is we use design thinking to help reimagine the process of having a baby. And meaning this is, I work for a hospital system. And so we talk to parents and parents are excited to have a baby. They get ready for the baby and then the baby comes. And by talking to parents and understanding what was happening, 
there was this 30, about 30 days after people delivered the baby, uh, all their friends stopped bringing them food. Their, their family members felt like you've got this. And the parents were exhausted and there was a real lull in their experience. And so we use design thinking to, to generate what we call a how might we, which is an optimistic question. And we said, how might we make the 30 day after delivery feel invigorating, exciting, and engaging again? So we designed a concept where we captured the day of the birth through the lens of the partner uh, in the labor and delivery process. And we said, we're, we're not going to um, tell uh, the, the woman that's delivered the baby what we're doing here, but we're going to capture the whole story. And so we do that. And then on day 30, a uh, birth story capture comes back to the family. And it's everything that they remembered about what was so beautiful about what had happened and a real reminder of the joy that the kids brought. And then we put a subtle medical reminder in there, like, don't forget to get vaccinations or don't forget uh, to do to check in on postpartum depression, et cetera. But we took an emotional moment. And then if you could, if you would just sort of redistribute it to a different day. And brought that back to life to remind people um, just how precious it was. And it's a very small example, but that was using design thinking to take what was a low moment and turning it back into a really high moment. And the way we measured if it worked is did people cry when they received the card? Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of people cry when they receive the card. So <laughs> we can tell that we're emotionally resonating with them. And one of the nice things about that, too, is often, you know, the, the parents are telling the birth story over and over in the beginning to lots of people, but they don't actually capture it. And so just having this way to do so intentionally is, is a lovely thing that they probably wouldn't be thinking of themselves. Yeah. And a good example of a prototype on this one was we actually wrote whole birth story books. So they were children's books of that child's delivery day. And it becomes one of the favorites between the parents and the child to reread the story of the day they were born. And that was beautiful. Um, and that definitely worked. However, because design thinking recognizes constraints, it was just too expensive. We couldn't write it. And the first time we put this experiment out in the world, there were eight language requests in a week. So we couldn't keep up with the writing, the illustration, and all that would need to um, be involved, including the expense. It was really expensive. So ultimately, it ended up being a card. Uh, but the back to the celebrate imperfections is we did a great job the first time around, but it didn't, it wouldn't work long-term because of the time it took and the expense that it took. And so we, we narrowed it down to what still had the, the essence, the kind of nug, the nectar of what we were trying to do in the, in a form that we could repeat it over and over and over again. Are there other examples? Katia, do you want to share one? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is a, this example came up, Chris, as you were talking about, you said it so 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 wonderfully, which is there's a way you can redesign an experience that can be a, a crisis or something that 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 uh, that could be painful. And so so this is more of a personal, for instance. But as we were saying, this is a way of life for us, right? And um, so last week was the first time uh, that we were experienced my stepfather's birthday since he passed away. And so the question was, what would we do? on that day and the family still were still grieving and 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 so uh, I was talking to my mother and my brother 
And we decided that what would be really nice, what would be a nice celebration, because the intent is what's a celebration is to go to the cemetery and have pizza together and have a wonderful picnic at the end of the day. Mom got some pizzas, the kind that he liked, and we brought some flowers from the garden and we went up to where he is and we put the flowers down and some fun little trinkets and we shared some stories. And then it was getting cold and windy. And so we didn't know if we could have our picnic there. But just as we opened the pizza boxes, the sun came out, the wind stopped. (laughs) And we had a delightful picnic, the three of us celebrating him. And it truly was a redesign of a day that could have been incredibly difficult. And it really truly was a celebration and a moment of joy that the three of us created. Approaching it. You know, just reflecting on what you said earlier, Katya, approaching it with a choice. You know, how do we choose to spend this mm-hmm. day that, that is really painful, mm-hmm. but how can we choose to celebrate joy together? And so now I just have to ask, what kind of pizza was it? Um, so we had two pizzas. <laughs> <laughs> and there was one that had sort of uh, onions and broccolini and one that had all sorts of different meats. <laughs> and mom yeah. brought some tea. And to the point of, Again, what Chris was saying is it wasn't about the perfect picnic. It wasn't about, it was what's meaningful and simple and being together and having that shared intent. I love that it's applicable on the daily level as well Mm -hmm. as on a long-term scale. You know, the design process or mindset that's involved in design thinking is very human. It's built into our the structure of our brain, into our DNA, and how we creatively problem solve anyway. Uh, it's just that some organizations have codified that language, have have developed terms like design thinking, and and made it something that we can talk about as a shared language. But sometimes that language is distancing for people. Uh, so, so hearing the day-to-day examples, I think, really make it practical and real. Yeah, Tracy, I, I, your comments are resonating so much. I think as we're recording this, um, you know, we are in a pandemic state. I hope by the time this is released, that's a, that's a different story. However, I do think there's a lot of um, what that's created is a lot of constraint. And we hear things like, think outside the box right? But the truth is that there is a box. (laughs) And you sometimes can, um, through design thinking, you can look at the box and say, all right, let's use these limitations as the leap off point. So we have some neighbors across the street, if we were to apply design thinking uh, to a, a particular situation, their son was turning 13. And you could say, well, this is the worst. Uh, You can't have a party. There's social distancing. How's that going to happen? And they said, all right, well, how might we create a memorable 13-year-old birthday in the midst of a global pandemic? So they gathered their friends, their family members, and they said, what, what can we do? And they came with this idea that they were going to rent a dunk tank and friends would drive by and the parents would go on the dunk tank, the 13-year-old dunk tank, his siblings would go on the dunk tank. And that would accomplish the goal of social distancing, but still allowing for fun. And then they made a fundraiser out of it. So he was contributing some of those funds back to causes that he cared about. 
And then that night I saw the kids and they set up a tent on a flat part of their roof and they all slept outside on the roof. And I thought, you know, turns out they celebrated the constraint and he'll probably remember this birthday more than just a normal birthday where his buddies came over and they brought gifts. And I think it's a good example of the constraint. You have to go through it. You don't just avoid it. You actually have to go through the constraint and then use the constraint as a leap off point for big ideas. And then try out your big ideas. And sometimes they're wrong, which is exactly why we call this podcast Results May Vary. Is many times it doesn't work the way that you thought it would. So you'd say, well, then design thinking doesn't work. Uh, but you would then move forward and say, well, what was it about that that didn't work? How would I change it or try something else? And then ultimately you fail your way forward is one way that we talk about it in design is how do I fail forward? Um, or take the elements of that that did work and then carry it forward to my next iteration. So in some ways, design thinking just never stops, which is why we thought it would be great for people's lives, uh, because that's really how life plays out is there's a constraint, you get creative, you try something, it either works or it doesn't, and then you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again. So design thinking can be applied on a near daily basis, as Katja pointed out, for just about anything. I love that so much. I love how Chris just talked about celebrating constraints. And um, there's something so deeply joyful about that. And also this continual movement forward. From a coaching perspective, what I notice is there's always this, well, if you're going to invent the future, there needs to be this resilience or how do we get to success? And, And people are afraid to fail. But the truth is, with this lens of design thinking and celebrating the constraints and feeling forward and having there to in knowing Chris and Tracy, what I have observed is there's this kind of playfulness that kicks in. And when we are in that spirit, it's a lot easier to come up with creative answers to any kind of constraints. And it's deeply empowering. And that's what I find is so moving about it. And so when Chris talked about continually moving forward. That's the whole point. So you can literally never fail as a result. There is always a creation. And something that Tracy taught me when I first met her is we can create, we can create and design for anything, anything. It's a superpower. And that's one of my favorite principles that Tracy lives by. I was just going to say, I've been um, having, I've been being coached uh, in this pretty intensive, like 40 day, process. And even though I live, sleep, breathe, design, and the woman that I was working with doesn't have a design background, she really helped me to see when we get in that position of feeling like we failed or something isn't possible or the constraints are too great to overcome, that's the moment that we have to expand our possibility set. The mindset of feeling constrained and small, like physically, and then, you know, taking a breath and expanding the space uh, is is really relevant to how I think about design. And I hadn't put those two together until we'd worked with one another. And so now, anytime where I am feeling constricted or, you know, just like this is never going to work, I'm I'm in a bad mood. Um, there's you know, sort of this victim mindset. Like there's so much against me right now. Is to say, ah, that's a clue that I need to expand my thinking and expand what's possible. 
And that's where I end up doing a lot of this with clients with regards to the mindset of what I call scarcity, where you are feeling victimhood or, and, and fundamentally, biologically, you can't see what's hidden in front of you um, when you're in a fight or flight, freeze, fawn response. And so, JC, when you were talking about like, oh, there's too much or sort of that mindset, and there are ways to design your way out of it, right? When you know, oh, it's just a mindset. I just need to flip the channel to the next mindset. And just as people know that when they listen to music, their mood changes. When they move their body, their mood changes. There are specific, easy little things people can incorporate in their day to flip back to that mindset of possibility or what I end up calling abundant thinking. But that's where we do our best thinking because fundamentally we can perceive the choices and possibilities and, and we're more creative. Yeah, Katya, I love that. I think change is, is inevitable. It's inevitable part of the human condition. And it, we don't like it um, that much. It can, be, it can be painful. And I think what I really like about design thinking is it seriously lowers the bar to, to try. And I think all of us, including ourselves, or I'll speak for myself, is many times these ideas or dreams become so lofty that it's so intimidating to take one step forward. And design really has a methodology for take take a tiny step forward. In fact, take one that you could completely discard and scrap it and not worry about it and then build another one and scrap that one if you don't like it. But it really lowers that first step. So if someone's saying, I want to totally redesign my career, design thinking is not likely to advocate for, well, you should quit your job, go back to school, finish school, go ahead and apply for that new job. And then there you would have arrived. It's going to say something like, what's one small thing you could do this weekend? Like talk to someone else who has that career path and learn a little bit more about it. And that's prototype number one, right? So that's a very simple step. We're so used to the polish. Uh, I watched Mm -hmm. a fun documentary last night about Amy Schumer and her pregnancy. Um, And what she was doing on the road, um, the behind the scenes were horrific. It was what she went through during this pregnancy was um, she was extremely sick and just kept performing every night. And we're so used to seeing the polish. Uh, I think if there's one regret, you know, resentment on society is that we show, we overinflate the polish and we underemphasize the process of what everything that you see as success is, is, is a bunch of really messy misses and steps and and iterations that ultimately get to that polished thing. One thing I like about the conversation that we continue to have is we're not here to tell you what your life should be. We're here to just say, hey, here's like four things you could try uh, and just let us know what happens. Let us know what happens. And there's not a a true north, so to speak. It's whatever individuals want that north to be. I, I feel like I've just learned so much about design thinking. So what are some common misconceptions that you find when you're working with people or just reflecting with yourself on design thinking? I think the biggest one is that people have been trained to believe that they are not creative. And again, I just wholeheartedly disagree with that. If you are human, you are creative by design. Giving people the skills uh, introducing them to the skills and and having them work through that in a I'm gonna say like a safe space, a space where they can fail, be vulnerable, try things on, and not have to be perfect. To what Chris was talking about, 
I think is, is really helpful in unlocking that for people. And when you see them get that, like when you see them energetically shift from that space of, oh, I'm not creative to actually witnessing their own creativity, that's one of my favorite parts of teaching design. Another misconception is that it's really about having big ideas and that it's focused on the idea. Uh, and I think that that is really common in our culture. Like I think about shows like Shark Tank, where there's a narrative around like, oh, if only you come up with the aha moment, the big idea, uh, then your life is going to be transformed. You know, you're going to get funded by one of the sharks and you're going to go and become a millionaire or billionaire or something. And really ideas are just like a dime a dozen. They are cheap. They are everywhere. They're a commodity. And it's really about combining them in interesting ways to, it's about the the process of implementation of like making it come to life and how you put things that are not necessarily um, common bedfellows together in interesting ways and seeing how that plays out. And so it's really about having the choice of lots and lots of different ideas and how those come together. So agree with that. And we will continue down that path through future episodes because I think that's hard for people to grasp. But yes, the ideas are cheap and the questions are a lot more valuable than the ideas themselves. And then the execution or like some forward progress on the idea. I think people way over index on the idea and it's less about the forward progress or even the question that drove them to that idea. So if you took out the middle and said, what's the question that led you to that? And then there's a bunch of ideas that'll fly off the question. And then what's the forward progress on that? You know, the world would look really different if people were moving these um concepts or, or just general ideas forward, but where did they come from and did they make forward progress? Yeah. When some of the misconceptions I tend to see and, and um, it's both misconceptions and pitfalls is, is when people start to resist and have thoughts like it's really hard or it feels uh, too far. Um, I, I won't, any kind of self-talk about how hard, how change is hard, how it's, too far out into the future. Um, and, and all those can be framed uh, within what Chris was talking a little bit earlier ago on perfection, sort of the myth of perfection. And that really freezes people in their tracks. The antidote is really a, a playground of safety and permission and, and doing one small thing at a time. But it's extraordinary to me to see how these misconceptions actually force people into preemptive surrender. They don't even try. To me, sometimes that's even mm. heartbreaking. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, so true. That's so true. A common misconception is it's like blue sky, if only de denying of reality and that design thinking is this like it's for the dreamers and they're not grounded in any reality. Mm -hmm. I think that is a huge misconception. In fact, um, what we realize, which is kind of hard to imagine until you go through the process a few times is that design thinking actually really needs the constraint. It's the, it's the perfect companion uh, because the constraint focuses the opportunity or the problem or the, where the creativity needs to shine. It gives us a, a focal point. And so I think there's a misconception, a common misconception that, 
Oh, design thing is for like the dreamers and it's just white space and blue sky and they're not, they're not living here on earth. Um, and so actually it couldn't be further from the truth. Design thinking starts with the constraint and then says, all right, how do we leap from this? And so we'll talk about this a little more when we go through our um, ways that we can help individuals and some, some easy takeaways and talk about constraints specifically. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I really like, Katya, what you said about a playground of ideas. Yeah, I'm thinking, Chris, about the the constraint is actually, you know, that's what is what is the Leonard Cohen that the crack is where the light comes through, right? So the constraint yeah, I love is what, that quote. I love that constraint quote. is what makes the design and makes us get creative. If we didn't have a constraint, we wouldn't need to get creative. You know, we started out talking and I said I was wanting to apply design thinking to my own life in different ways. So I'm wondering if you guys have kind of a a game plan or an outline or like, you know, these are the four steps that, that anybody can kind of start with in their arsenal when it comes to taking this approach to life. Mm, so good. It's a great question. I think if, if someone said, look, you got five minutes, teach me something and I'll never see you again. You know, we've got an elevator conversation. I would say this, start with a complaint storm. Just take a piece of paper, write down all the things that are challenging, write down some things that are opportunities, but here's why it's hard. Uh, and then use that complaint storm to tease out some questions. How might we have adventures as a family with school? That's a constraint, right? So then that question leads to a brainstorm. So lots of ideas. What are the complaints? And opportunities. What are the ideas now that you framed up questions for yourself and your family or your friends, et cetera? And then go as soon as possible into an experiment. So pick out a few of those ideas and then ask yourself, what on this list could I do Monday? And do it. Just do the Monday thing. And that'll narrow it down to something small and then do a modification. So that thing you did Monday, what did you learn? Is there another experiment to try? What was the feedback loop? Did it feel good? Did it feel like you're making progress? Or do you want to go back to the original question, back to the original brainstorm, and then so on and so forth? And so uh, that process can be applied over and over and over again. I think another, I think that's really good. And another way to get into it is to do a brainstorm around your question. Like a lot of times the we kind of ask a question with the answer already embedded into it. And so we don't give ourselves the permission to look at other possibilities. And so I think about, you know, even things like a relationship, you know, how you're looking to to meet somebody. And it's like, well, asking yourself why, like there's the the five whys, asking yourself five times why something's important. Like, I want to be in a relationship. Well, why is that important? What are you looking to get out of that? Well, I want companionship. I want, you know, somebody to go on adventures with. I, I want various things. Then you can look at those elements and say, okay, well, to go on adventures with. Like, how can I, how, how might I, you know, how, live an adventurous life? And decoupling it from it needing to necessarily include another person. Like eventually it might, but in the meantime, should you keep yourself from living an adventurous life? Should you just be waiting? Um, and so really finding out like what are the important elements behind the things that you feel are most important to you? And the only thing I would add 
is, is really thinking around the mindset. So one of my observations is people tend to block around whether they have permission for this thing that they really, really want. So after they've done the constraint brainstorm, et cetera, is, and really go to, as Chris said, how might we create this desire? There's really, it's sort of like adding, you know, um, energy to your creation is, 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 is really giving yourself permission that it's wonderful that you desire that and you have a right to have that. It's amazing what happens to people when they really embody it. And then I'll go further and say, what will it feel like? What will it look like? What will it sound like? And have them really experience it and then start to run experiments. They typically end up with a stronger desire. They typically end up, it's that difference between, well, what would you want? And then it's a very logical answer. But when you ask someone, well, what do you really wish for? Then they bring in their imagination and something really sublime that really touches them at a deeper level. I just, I've really been loving the word imagination lately in the context of what we're talking about, because I think that that's an element that we can all feel like we can do. I mean, everybody has a sense of imagination and, and that in thinking about, oh, well, design thinking or whatever terms that might feel outside of the realm of, you know, your day-to-day knowledge. Imagination just lights me up in such a way that, that no other term does. I completely agree. Yeah, and- well, so one of my, <laughs> one of my favorite thoughts recently <laughs> has been to really rejoice around the power of creative imagination. Like we're born on this planet and all of us humans, we have this, this creative imagination and that's, that's, Creation starts with our imagination and it's this gift we're born with. And personally, I find it's really underutilized. And so why I love this group and these discussions is you have permission to use it. You've got this amazing treasure, your creative imagination. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, Katya, one yeah. of the things you said to me a while back was, you know, like reality is basically made up. It's make-believe. <laughs> and because of that, you can play with reality. And that just really landed for me. It's like, oh, hey, if all of this I'm just making up in my brain anyway, then I have permission to make it be whatever it is that I want. Yeah, exactly. It's one of those ways that design thinking has your back, right? You can lean on it. When yeah, your mind wanders exactly. and does, oh, you know, the, the scarcity thing, you go, oh, no, design thinking's got my back. This is just part of the process. There's, there's a yeah. um, great story that circulates around, around Disney and his thinking, talk about creative imagination. And, and, it, and a lot of people who've worked with him have said that he, his creative process was, it was a three-part process. The first part was anything is possible and really, really give yourself permission to go out there. And then the second part was more the builder, which is, well, if we have this deadline and we know it needs to look like this, let's reverse engineer into it. And then the third part was the critic, was the one that looked at what might we have not considered, et cetera. But there was a place in the process where you had your mind only go in one direction at a time as a way to help you complete the experiment you were running. I think that's a big point. Part of yeah, part of this process is about isolating the the activities that you're partaking in along the way. 
So you have your creative thinking, which is your expansive thinking. And then you have a time for your critical thinking, which is your focusing thinking. And one of the things that we tend to do as, as humans is try and create and criticize or be critical at the same time. And you have to isolate those activities so that they can do what they do best. Doing them, trying to do them at the same time actually keeps anything from really moving forward well. That is such a huge point. If there's one takeaway from all of it, it's that. It's that. And you know, things like, to use a real-world example right now, so much of the world has gone to remote work. And so let the ideas flow. You could say, well, um, what if you sailed around the world? What if you built a tiny house and moved it around? What if you uh, live in proximity to your original job, but further away? You know, what, what, are, what if you did a walk around the United States and called in for work every once in a while? So as I say those, your own mind might be thinking, well, that's dumb. That's expensive, <laughs> you know, and so would mine. However, that's not the part of the process we're in. It's the next part where we'd say, okay, now that I bring this through, like what in these could meet a reality that's going to work for me? And, and then I'm going to experiment with that. We do mumble it all together, but yes, to compartmentalize what stage and where the mindset is at that stage is, is brilliant. Thank you, Tracy. So one of the things I was going to say as a wrap up is, you know, Chris, to your point of, you know, having having the four of us and having this conversation, that's why we're really interested in building a community around this to be one another, to be one another's allies and to remind one another that this is possible. I mean, for as long as I've been practicing this, I still get caught up in the scarcity mindset and, you know, feeling constricted and like there aren't these choices in front of me. So having more and more of us who can keep each other accountable, I think will really help. And, and I see this type of thinking as being the way forward to design a future that we're really wanting to see, you know, how do we take what wasn't working from before and work towards a future that works better for more of us. And I think, yeah, design thinking, creative problem solving, imagination, however you want to define it is going to be one of the strongest muscles to get us there. <laughs> awesome. Really awesome. I'm so excited. So, so fun. All right. Talk to you guys later. All right. Bye. Bye. All right. That's a wrap. Want more? We'd love to have you participate in the conversation we're having about life design by joining our Results May Vary podcast Facebook group. That's where we'll share more tips, tricks, and inspiration, and where you can share your own experiments with fellow community members who also know and believe that we're all born creators, and every day is a whole new chance to create. And as always, thanks so much for listening to Results May Vary!